Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Toronto, Canada. Today is Friday, September the 7th, 2018. We are reading from the big book, and we're on page 107, the first paragraph. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes through four paragraphs ending with better husbands and fathers than ever before and commenting on all four paragraphs. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, Georgina P., 12 Traditions, Esther F., and readers of the text, Lauren N., Kelly S., and Barbara E. The reference numbers for Thursday, September the 6th, the 7 a.m. meeting, 11883, and the 10 a.m. meeting, 11885. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Georgina P. to read the 12 steps. Press star one, Georgina. Sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Yes, thank Hello. you. Sorry. Yes, thank uh, you. This, this is Georgina P. I'm a, compuls- I'm a recovered compulsive eater from Boston. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him 
praying only for our knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of the, as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Georgina P. And Esther F. will read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a recover-compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio, presently in Connecticut. The 12 traditions. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there has been one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 107, the first paragraph. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes through four paragraphs ending, better husbands and fathers than ever before, and commenting on all four paragraphs. And Lauren N., would you read for us, please? Hi, can you hear me? It's Lauren N. Yes, thank you. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes. 
Some of them rose out of ignorance of alcoholism. Sometimes we sensed dimly that we were dealing with sick men. Had we fully understood the nature of the alcoholic illness, we might have behaved differently. How could men who loved their wives and children be so unthinking, so callous, so cruel? There could be no love in such persons, we thought. And just as we were being convinced of their heartlessness, they would surprise us with fresh resolve and new intentions. For a while, they would be their old sweet selves, only to dash the new structure of infection to pieces once more. Asked why they were commenced to drink again, they would reply with some silly excuse or none. It was so baffling, so heartbreaking. Could we have been so mistaken in the men we married? When drinking, they were strangers. Sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. And even if they did not love their families, how could they be so blind about themselves? What had become their judgment, their common sense, their willpower? Why could they not see that drink meant ruin to them? Why was it when these dangers were pointed out that they agreed and then got drunk again immediately? These are some questions which race through the minds of every woman who has an alcoholic husband. We hope this book has answered some of them. Perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything is distorted and exaggerated. You can see that he really does love you with his better self. Of course, there is such a thing as incompatibility, but in nearly every instance, the alcohol only seems to be unloving, alcoholic only seems to be unloving and inconsiderate. It is usually because he is warped and sickened, and he says that he says and does these appalling things. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. Wow. Boy, do I see myself in there and see all of my loved ones in there. I was that person who thought, I thought I was being loving and kind and caring. I thought I was only hurting myself by eating. I thought I was not being selfish. I was being so selfless and so loving of my, everybody else. I was taking care of everybody else and not myself. But really, I was doing the exact opposite. I was sticking my head in the sand 
and not realizing how much I was hurting the people around me that loved me that would do the frothy emotional appeal to get me to stop eating, to stop killing myself. One bite at a time. I had diabetes. I was giving myself four shots a day. I was killing myself slowly, actually not so slowly. It took 52 years, but once I got diabetes, it was not very slow. But I was also married to an alcoholic, and I was also also raised a an addict child, and I so I was on the other side as well. And my father was a rageaholic and a workaholic. My mother was a food person. So how surprising I would become one too. And I would raise another one. Not at all. Thank you, God, I have found this program. I have found a way to stop the the pattern and fix it for myself and pray one day at a time that my son finds it too. And my loved ones find it also. I can't fix anyone else. I can only fix me. And it's only with the wisdom in these rooms that I can learn how to fix myself one minute at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lauren N. The line is now open for sharing on what we just read. Please say your name just once as it helps me hear everyone. Who would like Christy. to share? Janice PM. Christy Rebecca P. Allison E. Reva P. Okay, if you can stop just for a second and I'll tell you who I got. And I just did miss a couple of names. I believe it's Chrissy G, Janice PM. Harlan G, Larry K, Reva P, Katie G, and I know I missed somebody in there. Rebecca C. Allison E. And Barbara Okay, let's stop with everybody there, please. I'll read you our lineup, and we'll pick up everybody I missed on the second go-round. I have Chrissy G, Janice PM, Harlan G, Larry K., Rebecca C, Reva P, and Katie G. Chrissy G, could you start us off, please? I thought it was Chrissy G. There was a Chrissy I heard. Hi, it's Chrissy G, recovered in New York. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, I keyed, I keyed right in on the distorted lives, the distorted thinking, you know, how the world of addiction, I mean, they're talking about alcoholism, but just the world of addiction itself, the, the family dynamics and, the, and just the, um, 
the psychological process that goes goes on in the mind of an, an addict and also, you know, how crazy making it is and how the family around you has to um kind of abide by the same reality that you're that you're living under, which is no reality at all, which is complete delusion. And I lived like that, like the the speaker um first speaker said as a child and then it was perpetuated in my own life and then in the lives of my kids to some extent and how this is such a family this this is a completely family complete family disease but it's really it's a really hard concept to grasp because it it looks it looks as if the the addict is is really the the problem the the addicted person and and for a long time that that helped me not look at my own my own issues because it's like all right so if you're all addicts in the family it's like let's focus on the worst addicts and no one look at themselves you know what i mean so who's causing the most havoc wreaking the most havoc in the family and you know the little quiet girl who was sitting watching uh blanche's beauties um you know ogling over scott Bayo and eating pop tarts wasn't the worst addict in the family when i was growing up you know that was me and my father was the raging sometimes raging sometimes nice alcoholic so it's like you know you're going to look at me you're going to say i have a problem so you know i i uh I understand the complexity of coming out of denial and it's, you know, that's where hitting bottom is, is so rewarding and it's so crystallizing, you know, it just pinpoints you into that focus of looking at yourself and not seeing everybody else's issues for maybe the first time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chrissy G. Janice PM, it's your turn, followed by Harlan G. Well, thank you, and good morning again, Lynn S. My name is Janice PM, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from beautiful Massachusetts today. Um, Yeah, you know, this whole chapter is giving me, because I'm the alcoholic, the compulsive overeater, um, you know, direction and some wonderful advice. And, you know, because why? Because, you know, this is their experience. They're wives of alcoholics, but I'm the alcoholic. I mean, I'm the compulsive overeater, not the alcoholic, but the compulsive overeater. And, you know, it's so true. I just, you know, I used to always, you know, read it with the, with it. oh, yeah, they're talking about my husband, even though he wasn't an alcoholic, because it's his fault. It's his fault. It's his fault. It's my son's fault. But, you know, this is all about me. It's all about us. We we compulsive overeaters should take heed. Yeah, we should. I should. I should take heed. And, of course, after many decades, you know, I completely understand what I did in my disease. You know, um, what I had become as a compulsive overeater, despite... Despite all the progression, all the I'm going to leave him and I'm going to uh, uh, get out of here after five years of marriage. I was going to leave because he, you know, it just we weren't getting along. I wasn't getting along. He was getting along, but I wasn't getting along because see, I had a disease, 
and I didn't understand my disease, but I wanted him to understand, you know, and what happened, of course, despite all the progression of my disease, with my, uh, the weight gain, with my diabetes, with my uh, rages, oh, please um, uh, time me, um, uh, my medical consequences, um, I was baffled, and I wanted him to understand me, and I was always blaming him. So you see, this is this to the wives is all about me. Um, so it's just you know telling us, you know, this is my experience. We don't want you to to go through this. But of course, you know, I guess we have to go through what we have to go through, because I didn't know that when I picked up again and again and again, I couldn't stop, uh, or that when I did stop. Um, I couldn't, um, you know, I started again and again and again. See, my, my problem was my mind. My mind was twisted. And all these things happened to me, you know, ignorance of what compulsive overeating is. Ignorance means I really didn't know that I was powerless, that I had the allergy of the body. Because if Thank I did, you. thank you. If I did like today, and yes, there is so much hope because um, it seemed like I was hopeless. But uh, I'm so glad that I got to act differently through the steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice PM. Harlan G., it's your turn, followed by Larry Kay. Thanks, Lynn, and thank you for your service. Thank you to Team Friday for making this magnificent meeting possible. I'm Harlan G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Steam Bath, Scottsdale, Arizona. The chapter is not really written to enlighten wives or enlighten others as much as it is written to enlighten us as to the effect that we have on other people. Here's a lie that probably got started somewhere in 1934, 1935, or before. The lie is, if I am a compulsive overeater, if I'm an alcoholic, if I'm a drug addict or a gambler or whatever it is I am, well, I'm only hurting myself. False. False. For every compulsive overeater, for every addict, for every alcoholic, whatever that may be, other lives are dragged through the mud. That's the point of the chapter. You're not just hurting yourself. On page 108 is one of the most enlightening sentences in the big book, and that's why I'm so happy that we're doing these chapters. It says, perhaps your husband has been living in that strange world of alcoholism where everything, not just some things, is distorted and exaggerated. Everything in my life when I'm eating Doritos and Oreo cookies is distorted and exaggerated. The way I see everything is not reality. There's only one problem. I don't know it. I don't see it. I don't get it because it looks real to me. It looks real to me that you are to blame for all of my problems. It looks real to me that I should be able to lie when the truth would have served me better and that that's okay. This addiction does not just make one fat. 
it takes everything about our lives, every cell of our lives, every molecule of our lives, and changes it and distorts it. And it drags it through pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, and it hurts everyone around us. But here's the nugget. The recovery through the steps, the spiritual awakening through the steps makes everything elevated. So I didn't say perfect. I didn't say exactly according to your script or my script. I said it elevates everything. And there's going to be pain along the way. I got divorced in recovery. My wife was carrying on with another man when I was in recovery. But I didn't have to eat over it. And I didn't want to eat over it. And that's a miracle. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Harlan G. Larry K., it's your turn, followed by Rebecca C. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for your service. Um, you know, <clears throat> a couple of things I want to say here. You know, my mother had significant mental illness um, and, and she battled amphetamine addiction when I was younger. And, and back, in, back in those days, in the 1960s and 70s, amphetamines were not sold on the street. You know, diet drugs were freely prescribed by doctors. <clears throat> and my parents were divorced when I was eight, and my mother remarried a man a couple of years later, and we, we moved from sh the Chicago area to Reseda, California, and he, he was, you know, perhaps a compulsive eater and, and you know, and, and very abusive. Now, I'm no longer under the delusion that I'm a compulsive overeater because of these experiences, no more so than someone who had a wonderful childhood um, is a compulsive overeater because, the, you know, their parents love them too much, you know. And this chapter, as Harlan said, is, is about the effects that we have on other people. See, I'm not living in a cave. When the grenade explodes... Everyone in my midst gets hit with shrapnel. And the addiction is going to drag everyone through the mud. And unless I have a spiritual awakening, an effective spiritual awakening, the people around me will continue to get hit with shrapnel because the grenade is going to go off because as a selfish, self-centered person, I'm not going to see the impact that I have on other people. When, you know, conversely, when we do have an effective spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, one of the things, you know, Harlan talked about it, it's not that life is perfect today, but my daughter doesn't get hit with shrapnel today. Those around me don't get hit with shrapnel today. The grenade doesn't explode today. I have a way of life in alignment with my higher power that while not perfect, is different. And I'm predictable in good ways. Not perfect, but people, the, 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 the grenade doesn't explode. It doesn't explode today. And yes, I have not found it necessary to pick up any of my bin substances in many years. And that's a miracle in and of itself. But what a horrible thing. If, if you are abstinent, sober, start craving sober today for many years, and you're in a normal sized body, and yet people around you continue to get hit with shrapnel. No deal at all, right? That's not what this program offers. I'm grateful for what this program does offer. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Larry Kay. Rebecca C., it's your turn, followed by Reva P. 
Good morning. This is Rebecca C. I'm happy to be sharing in this meeting today for the first time. And I think for me, what I see in this particular reading passage is my experience um, 100%. And what I'm finding to be so amazing about reading the big book with you all in these meetings is just having the realization that for so many decades, I thought I was the only one that was feeling these ways, having these issues with my life. And the real hope that I have been experiencing since finding this program is these things may be partly my story that I read, but I'm not alone. And thankfully, there are those who have gone before and have shared their experience in this book. And so the steps are really allowing me to feel um, like I don't have to have all the answers. I really don't. Um, There is a higher power directing this show and I have to do my part, but I don't have to be in charge. And that's a great relief to me today. And the support that I'm finding in A Vision for You um, has just been a really great miracle for me. So I thank you all. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rebecca C. Reva P., it's your turn, followed by Katie G. Good morning. This is Reva P., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Toronto, Wow, these um, paragraphs um, are quite painful uh, because it really is very clear how my disease affects other people's other people. And um, I love the words um, that they're using. You know, how how could he do that? How could she do that? And those are the questions I asked myself. How could I do that? How could I do that again? Why did I just do that? Um, because it was baffling and confusing to me. And it reminds me what it says um, in There is a Solution, that I'm like a Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, one minute I'm fine, and the next minute I'm doing some insane behavior with the food and in all other areas of my life. Um, And um, it, it repeats again and again and again that we we didn't realize we're dealing with a sick person and i had no idea what was happening to me i had no idea that this was an illness and thank you god for the doctor's opinion that explains you know why do i do this the allergy of the mind the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind um and the business of being um inaccessible you know this is how I am in the disease when I'm in the food, but this is also how I could be if I'm a dry drunk and not working the steps and not really dealing with my defects of character. I become inaccessible. I go inward when I am in tremendous fear um, and I'm, I'm not connecting with other people and I'm not available to other people. And it's a much more subtle kind of harm but there are harms as well um, when I'm into uh, what we read yesterday, self-pity, fear, anger, all of that stuff. Um, and it's just very good to be aware that 
I need to keep on this path of 10, 11, and 12 constantly, daily, minute by minute, because um, even the not such glaring effects of this disease do affect other people. Um, and I don't want to live like that anymore. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Katie G, it's your turn. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning, my fellows. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. And yeah, a lot of really good, good shares this morning. The things I'm thinking about are this great wall built around me, right? Like you might identify a wall of fat, a wall of sin, but what's the greater aspect of my malady, right? A wall of self, the wall that gets constructed when all I think about is me. And the thing with powerlessness in step one is that my ego rebuilds. And so it says, like, how could they be so blind? Well, as a recovered woman today, how am I blind about myself today? Like, how am I not able to differentiate the truth from the false today? Am I willing to question daily my willingness to be willing? You know, last week I got on the phone with my sponsor and I'm reviewing my step 11 and I'm like, yeah, you know, I asked husband, blah, blah, blah. And she said, hmm, let's go to page 99 or 100. Let's talk about how this is not about him, Katie G. This is not about him. This is about you. And you can be recovered no matter how he's behaving. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the reminder, daily reprieve. Um, another thing that I love that it says is dis disordered and exaggerated. Exaggerated, bigger than it actually is. Oh, my goodness. Is that not my middle name? You know, things happen to me that are quite small, and I call an ambulance. I call fire, I call everybody I know, and I want a ticker tape parade about what is going on. And, it is, and without these steps, you know, I got some information yesterday from the doctor, and it was like, okay, let's look at the facts, Katie G. And my higher self knew that the facts were that no ambulance needed to be called, no fire truck needed to be called. But with my sick mind, when I'm not connected and tethered to God, it was like, let me call every single person. Let me, let me, you know, have that ticker tape parade of terror. Let me make a big deal. But it's death of self for successful living. Look at the facts and move on, Katie. And the appalling, and the appalling things I was thinking about, you know, we can all compare the crazy things we did when eating. But I know for me the most insane thing I ever did in a state of abstinence was to pick up the food. We're all intelligent people. The most insane thing we ever do in a state of consciousness is to go back to the one thing that I cannot win over, over and over again. And I've eaten out of the trash. I mean, I can go, I can go there. But the most insane thing I ever did was go back to the food. And finally, I don't know if this is out of context, but it says most of our men are better wives than ever. You know, today, thank God, being a recovered woman for these 24 hours, and I'll just close with this, I use the sex prayers every morning. I say, God, I earnestly pray for the right ideal as a wife, as a mom, and as a member of Overeaters Anonymous, guidance, sanity, and strength to do the right thing. There is hope if I continue to look at my life and my relationship with God and helping others. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Katie G. For those of us who are just coming on the line, we are on page 107, the first paragraph. Under these conditions, we naturally made mistakes. Through four paragraphs ending with better husbands and fathers than ever before and commenting on all four paragraphs. 
If you'd like to share, please say your name just once. It helps me hear everybody. Who'd like to share? Jennifer H. Jennifer H. Marla S. E. Julie. Kelly S. Leah M. Okay, I heard who I heard, and I missed a couple of people. I heard Jennifer H. Somebody S. E. Kelly S. And Leah M. Who did I miss? Marla. Barbara E. Okay, sorry. I, I'm before Barbara E. There was somebody. Julie E. B. Okay, I've still missed people, but I've got a lineup, and I apologize if I missed you. I've got Jennifer H. Kelly S. Leah M. Marla, Barbara E. And Julie E. B. Let's go with that lineup, please. Jennifer, can you start us off? Good morning. This is Jennifer H. from Virginia. Um, this section, someone else mentioned sadness. It, I uh, was married to somebody for 25 years, and through that 25 years, I had gone in, in and out of OA numerous times. And so a lot of this behavior I was able to underline for being um, stuff that I had done. And um, one of the one that really jumped out at me was the line in the that says, uh, it was so baffling, so heartbreaking. Could we have been so mistaken in the men we married when drinking they were strangers? Sometimes they were so inaccessible that it seemed as though a great wall had been built around them. When I was in the food and in the relapse, I built that wall, and that wall was the food, I guess. And um, I just wouldn't communicate. You know, when things were going well, I'd be all happy and joyful, and um, I would just withdraw and into myself and read or isolate and um, I did it to my husband I also did it with my kids you know and I think I think they didn't know which person you know which Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde if they were going to get happy patient loving mom that was fun or the mom that was so obsessed about food either eating it or absent that she couldn't couldn't function well with them Um, so I'm really grateful that I have a different way to do things today because of recovery and and it does affect so many people in our lives. Um, you know, my parents, I remember the agony of my mom when I was lying to her. Um, you know, she, something got eaten that was prepared for a church picnic, and I tore up and down. It wasn't me, and it obviously was. And, you know, so I was unloving, I, or I seemed unloving, and I seemed inconsiderate. And um, and I did some pretty appalling things just for food. So, anyway, I'm just very grateful today again that, uh, I have a different way because of working these steps. Thank you very much. I'll pass. Thank you, Jennifer H. Kelly S., it's your turn, followed by Leah M. Hey, Lynn, thank you for your service. This is Kelly S. Recovered in Oklahoma. Um, wow, this stuff is just uh, pretty painful to see the truth because, you know, I've been sharing that, um, like everybody else, apparently, <laughs> not unique, and I really, truly thought this disease did not affect anybody but myself. And I read these paragraphs in this um, chapter, and it's so me. And I just can't imagine what it was like to live with me, you know, um, the baffliness, the heartbreakiness. And, you know, because the truth is, guys, I've been in these rooms longer than I've, uh, well, over half my life. You know, I'm 55, and I came in when I was 20 haven't been recovered only three and a half years. So um, the problem was, you know, I focused on just um, 
being abstinent. I was what somebody shared yesterday in the big book talks about the guy who came out of the storm cellar and was, Hey, you know, Hey, mine grand, the wind stopped blowing. And I was, I didn't understand. I did not understand a spiritual malady. All I thought the end all and be all to put, uh, be whole was put the foot down, the food down, lose my weight, maintain it. And, and that was it. Right. It didn't matter that I was, you know, how I was acting and being. And, and these, this thing that, you know, when Harlan pointed out, that sentence, everything is distorted and exaggerated. Oh my God. You know, there's a, there's a page in our for today meditation book that says, you know, a normal person has car trouble and they call, um, triple a, but we call suicide prevention. I want to tell you guys, I don't have to call suicide prevention, but I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I pick up the phone, you know, <laughs> and then, then I hang it back up, but you know what? Sometimes I don't even think about it. And I, you know, what I do is I, I've, I finally realized I have to work these steps. I have to live in spiritual principles. You know, there's more to it than I have to put the food down. Yes, 100%, you know, and, and I think about, I've been um, my spouse, my spouse for 20 years and, and I just can't even imagine, you know, you know, they talk about the problem, you know, as of our own making, I totally have always blamed everybody else, you know, and then I started having to look at myself and I started seeing how I was acting. And I told you, I shared this with you guys the other day that she had said to me um, probably five years ago, you act like you don't even like me. And it broke my heart. And at that point I realized, wow, you know, it, there is more. Cause I was listening to vision and I, and I had heard her say that. And I was like, that's crazy. Oh, Oh, well, kept eating because you know what? I wasn't ready. And today I am ready and I am working these steps. I am being a different person. You know, she's made comments. My kids have made comments, you know, and I just keep doing this still because today I do want to be this different person. I don't want to baffle them. I don't want to be heartbreaking. I want to be an example of my higher power. You know, I want to be an example of this program to not just you know, you guys, to my family, I'm sure they're like, what the hell? Mom's been in, in OA for 30 years, right? It really works. But today they're seeing that it works, and I'm so grateful for that, and I pass. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you, Kelly S. Leah M., it's your turn, followed by Marla. Thank you so much. You know, the great news is that we no longer live this way as a result of the program of recovery. Yes, it is painful to read the way I used to live. Um, there was a radical deterioration of all my relationships, every every life that I, that I touched, um, the inconsistency of my behavior, the come here, go away kind of dynamic that's created because of an addict. Uh, unpredictability, you know, what was my husband, my newly married uh, relationship going to go through that day when my husband arrived through the door? Was he going to find a happy wife? Was he going to find a wife that was going to lash him uh, with my critical tongue? The unpredictability, it's like walking through a landmine. You never know when you're going to get blown up. You know, our our book teaches us that the disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and that uh, bewilderment, you know, spreads across every relationship. Um, <laughs> you know, my book teaches me, leaving aside the drink question, why was living so unsatisfactory for someone like me? You know, uh, <laughs> it was so easy to focus on the physical. When I was 80 pounds, uh, due to anorexia, the focus was how to gain weight. When I was 200 pounds, uh, how to lose weight. You know, 
I didn't understand at that time that I was suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience was going to conquer. I did not get it. Neither did the help that I sought. Um, you know, the, the the depression, the low energy, the fatigue, the low self-esteem, you know, the anxiety that I had, the poor concentration through all my education, the indecision, the sense of hopelessness, the declining emotional condition that continued to get more and more severe for someone with me, coupled with the medical crises that my different facets of illness was creating. It created a burden to everybody who loved me. It wore people out. It wore me out. However, the hope is, it says, of course there is such thing as incompatibility, but nearly every instance the alcoholic only seemed to be unloving and inconsiderate. It is usually because he is warped and sickened that he does and says and does those appalling things. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. This program of recovery doesn't merely enhance my life, doesn't only enhance my life. It is my life. It is my life. I have a full beautiful family today i am also forced <laughs> to live by these principles because i have been blessed and i don't have the uh opportunity nor do i wish to uh tear through other people's lives today i could i could but i'm forced to live by these principles and i'm so grateful to do so so grateful to do so a whole new life a whole restored life you know uh a rebirth a rebirth nothing less Nothing less. Get this thing. I'm telling you. Okay, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Leah M. Marla, it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. And if we could have the initial of your last name, please. Marla, press star one. Maybe I didn't hear a Marla. I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Oh. Yeah. Yes, I can. Thank you. Sorry, I thought I was unmuted. Marla S., uh, and I'm in Iowa, recovered. Um, I've heard so much good stuff today. My head is uh, jumping around with all the things that I wanted to say. I hope this doesn't come out too jumbled. Um, I've been recovered now for about five years, five and a half years, and I'm relating so much to what saying. Um, I have an interesting situation now, a new perspective, because um, I'm living with an active uh, compulsive eater husband, and it's very uh, painful to watch what he does now that I'm not doing it, but so many of the things that I can witness in him, I get frequently faced with, oh my God, I used to do that, I used to do that, I used to do that, and what I see that that is there that was so aware now of how it hurts the others in, in our lives because my kids and I experience it on the end, on the other side is how painful it is to be the loved one of someone who is in self, so much self-hatred that they're constantly withdrawing from the people that love them and that they love. Um, and for example, his every moment pretty much after he's up eating his meal is to go away, go away, go away. And he's missed out on so many things of the kids and so many things of me. And, um, you know, I have recovery to deal with it now and I know not to take it personally and I'm okay with it. And I don't criticize him like I used to, but it is very painful on this end of it. And I can see the pain he's in too, because I know for myself 
that when I used to push everybody away, my whole goal at night as, as a person in addiction, everything was I want them to get up to bed. Everybody just get out of my face, go to bed so that I can eat. Um, and it's it's important for me, I think, to see the love that he has for us, and yet he can't show it because of his self-hatred and, and his fear um, and the ways that those of us in the family are required to take care of him when he has all his physical ailments and his surgeries from com- complications due to obesity. Um, it's very amazing to me to see now how I used to damage my family. Um, and it's painful, uh, but I'm so grateful that I've recovered today. And, and it took about two years into program before I was aware of how I had hurt my husband in particular and how critical I had been and how avoidant I had been with my kids and how I embarrassed my children. Um, they Going with them to school was very embarrassing to them. They couldn't tell me that until I was recovered and, and had lost a lot of my weight. Um, and I, I spent the family's money constantly without, you know, I was just spending and spending and spending thousands of dollars to get binge foods. So it is a program where, thank God, I've become aware of my part. And I no longer focus on what he's doing wrong as the reason for my pain and my problems. And my problems now I deal with with God and with my fellowship. Um, and today I leave him alone. And I just pray for his his best uh, recovery someday. And I pray that God will take care of my whole family. But I'm just grateful that I've been able to make amends. And I now Fine, am. Please. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you, Marla S. Barbara E., it's your turn, followed by Julie E.D. May I be heard? Yes, thank you. Oh, great. I'll start my timer. Uh, I think I started it. Okay. Um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for your service. It was wonderful to hear all the shares, all the shares. For me, I changed many of the we programs in these paragraphs to I. I made mistakes. I dimly understood that my addiction and my compulsion, my eating disorder was killing me and destroying my family's serenity. How could my husband continue to love me, not knowing when I'd refuse to leave the house and not going to an important family event, too ashamed to let the world see me. Still, I persisted in thinking I was only hurting myself. How wrong I was. When my children came home from school, they didn't know whether they'd find a laughing, engaged mother or an angry, withdrawn person, a Dr. Jekyll or a Mrs. Hyde. And let me tell you, Mrs. Hyde was far more toxic than Mr. Hyde. My poor body image and constant food issues impacted my family and influenced my children's way of viewing themselves and in the world. I was hopeless, and my husband soon learned to say nothing. I didn't want to hear anything. I had to look in the mirror every day, uh, shocked, shamed, broken. I was sick in mind and body. Sometimes my poor mother made the mistake of offering a suggestion and I'd hang up on her and not call her for a week or more. Me, a daughter who called her two times a day to check up on her. I became inaccessible 
were cold. I misinterpreted her concern for shame and having a daughter such as myself, so unlike her. I had no sound judgment, no common sense, no hope, no willpower, no ability to refrain from a compulsion that told me to eat no matter what, and the total inability to stop when I did want to. Freedom of will means I had a choice, whether it's through coercion or outside occurrence. But I had no free will. I was being strangled by the noose around my neck, and I didn't know what to do about it. I couldn't create the life I desired. But there is great news. There is help within this book. If we follow the program, we can achieve the happiness and serenity. And yes, days aren't perfect, but little by slowly, it helps. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. And Julie E.B., it's your turn. Hi, this is Julie E.B., gratefully recovered uh, one day at a time in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, I just uh, been blessed by these chapters. Uh, there's a time it would have just made me hide under the table to hear the effects of my actions, the harms, but having worked through the steps and, uh, you know, faced myself and my God and for the help of a sponsor, my defects, asking God to release them, and just every day in 10, 11, and 12, um, just continuing to learn um, how I can stay connected to my higher power and how that's changing my life. There is hope. I've taken a lot of outreach calls this week and uh, talk to sponsees and so on. And um, a lot of them are feeling very overwhelmed, like, oh, no, I'm doing all this. Uh, and and uh, how do I fix it? How do I fix it? And as our fellow says, recover, recover, recover. Stay in step one. Look at the unmanageability. Keep moving. Uh, dig in. Consider the possibility that there might be a higher power. Work through those resentments and harms and fears um, this is not meant, reading this, to draw us into fear. That's not what changes us. What changes us is continuing to seek uh, increased conscious contact, increased awakeness to a higher power. I was, I can identify in, uh, just like I could spend all day talking about the food. I was unthinking, callous, cruel. Um, and I strung my family along, my husband and kids, because they would see a bit of my old sweet self only to dash that it would be baffling and then other times i would be so inaccessible locked away bed bound in my disease 300 pounds unable to move only able to scream at times um, and then baffling them how could i be so blind to myself the way i was hurting others couldn't knowing that i was hurting others couldn't that go ahead and be enough? Couldn't my spouse think that it was enough? Um, <clears throat> their love and their kindness was enough to make me act with sanity. It's not their fault, but it was not enough. I had to have something greater than myself. Other people, places, and things, and even my desire to please them or desire to change myself was not enough without the simple steps spiritual action in this 
program. Um, my better self was there, ever elusive, driving them forward to try harder with me. Today, most of our men are better husbands and fathers than ever before. Here's where I go. Here's why I do many 10 steps today where I increase my meditation and my connection and my spiritual life and, and spend my thing. time in outreach and service because I want to be better for those people I've hurt. And there is a solution, one step at a time. Can't jump too far ahead. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Julie E.B., and thank you to everyone who shared, and thank you to Team Friday. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. The share ID for today, Friday, September the 7th, is 11888. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Kelly S. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Yes, Kelly S. recovered in Oklahoma. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.